In a town where movies go over schedule and directors go over budget, something far more evil is out of control. Welcome back to Scream 101. I'm your host, Sergio Robles, and your host, Brennan Klein, is here with me as well. Hello. Thank you for that, Brennan. You're welcome. So today wraps up a pretty big milestone in our lives, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, We're doing the... What? No, go ahead. Okay, sorry. Did I steal your hostly duties away from you? No, no, no. You're you're fine. Okay. A good host knows when to step down. Yes. We're doing the final Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, at least in what I consider the contiguous franchise. Um, we're saving the never-ending franchise. Yeah, well, um, we're saving Freddy vs. Jason for if we do Friday the Thirteenth, and I never, ever, 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 ever want to watch the remake again. So I'm pretending it doesn't exist. Um, I haven't seen it yet, so I do want to pretend. Well, I'm gonna recognize that it exists. I don't need to pretend. Anyway, um, the uh, this is the end of this particular marathon, and therefore the end of the first like kind of leg of this marathon journey we've been doing Mm -hmm. because we started. Three, and this is the last of those three. It's it's a very momentous occasion. Yep. Um, after we wrap up our little bonus trilogy marathon next week, we're going to be starting like a whole new set of franchises, which is going to be crazy. Yeah. Um, do we know what that is yet? Uh, we do, but we haven't told everyone. Um, do you, do can, can I be in on let in on some insider secrets? Um, do, should we should we tell people if you want? Okay. I mean, here we go. We're going to be doing. Final Destination. Okay. Uh, Lake Placid. Woohoo. The original Frankenstein movies. Oh, that's news to me. Yes. Um, well, no, you you did approve it. You, I know. You I know. Re- I you yellow, green stamp, whatever the color of the stamp is. You rubber stamped it. Yeah. And also uh, Leprechaun. Oh, yeah. I'm down for that. Oh, just in time for St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Although, I mean, the episode will come out way after St. Patrick's Day. But yeah. Okay. It still counts. Top of the morning. Enough. Anyway, that's what we're doing. A lot of newer franchises and one much older franchise. Um, so that's going to be super fun and exciting, and I'm ready for that. Um, but before we review Wes Craven's New Nightmare from 1994, we're going to be doing a 10-word review of a movie we watched in the past week. And because we recorded uh, midweek to get ahead of ourselves, it's only one movie. Exactly. So that movie is Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, um, and I'm going to start us off. So. Please do. Musically and visually stunning while offering horrifyingly problematic content. All right. And my review is a masterpiece dance sequence sandwiched between Stockholm Syndrome straight nonsense. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, pretty accurate. Thank you. Um, so as always, we're going to be reviewing Wes Craven's New Nightmare out of five on scariness, uh, campiness, effects, and quality. But first, here's the plot of the aforementioned movie. <laughs> Okay, reality and fantasy meet in unsettling ways in this installment of the long-run yada yada yada, which finds director Wes Craven and actors Heather Langenkamp and Robert Englund all playing themselves. As Heather considers making another film with Craven, her son Dylan, Miko Hughes, falls under the spell of the iconic disfigured villain Freddy Krueger, also played by Robert Englund. Eventually, Langenkamp must confront Mm. Freddy's demonic spirit to save the soul of Dylan. So... Scariness time, Sergio. Did this movie scare you? A little bit. 
Okay, how, how many numbers out of... I'm going to give it three. Okay, I can live with that. I'm giving it four, because okay. Craven's my boy. I know. Uh-huh. But, um, so this is kind of a higher... I feel like this is one of the higher scores that you've given, like, to this franchise, at least in a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, what was affecting you about this one? Um, The script. Script was horrifying. Um, okay. No. Jokes aside, uh... When I first saw this movie, I remember being very confused because I don't think I had any idea, excuse me, what a mara narrative was. A meta narrative? Yeah. What? Uh, it was, it sound, I think it just said marinara, oh, which yeah. is a sauce. No, it's a delicious sauce. I definitely knew what marinara sauce was, um, but I didn't know what a meta, a meta narrative was. Mm-hmm. So um, I was very like, confused and very frightened because part of me thought it was like some weird documentary and that it was just coming to life. And I was very scared. Yeah, and that's actually that's something that I was thinking about this time over because I've literally before long before I watched this movie, I knew it was the movie about Freddy Krueger creeping into real life. Mm-hmm. But when I was watching it, starting like from this new one, I was thinking, I mean, obviously people would have seen the trailer for this or whatever. People would go in knowing this, but there must have been people who didn't. And it's not until probably like ten or twelve minutes in that you fully know that we're what the person we're watching is. Heather, mm-hmm. as opposed to Nancy, mm-hmm. because you do see you see Heather Langenkamp making a nightmare movie, which is you know pretty obvious. It mm-hmm. was Craven's there, but that's mm-hmm. in a dream. And then she wakes up and she has a kid, but you're like, maybe this is just Nancy. Mm-hmm. She survived her dream killing somehow. You know what happens? Freddie does it all the time. Yeah. Um. So it it's it kind of slides you into that meta narrative aspect of it too. Um. And I think. It's really interesting, and that that is one of the ways that the movie does blend fantasy and reality, like even further than the original did. It blends fiction and nonfiction mm-hmm. really, really well. Yeah, um, to the point where a teenager was very confused. A young, a preteen. I was pretty. Yeah, you were like twelve. Yeah. So I wasn't I was... there. I don't know why I said that with such authority. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't remember discussing ages with you, Brennan. But sure, <laughs> um, thank you for backing me up. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, that's why I gave it gave it a four. Um, I think. This is one of Wes Craven's most heady movies. Mm-hmm. And he's a very intelligent academic filmmaker in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it plays a lot with the idea of storytelling and the effect that that captures. It plays a lot with the reality and fantasy just totally bleeding together. To the point that he included a lot of Heather Langenkamp's real life. That does sound very scary. Yeah, I, I can't imagine what this experience must have been like for her. I think she would have had to have gotten like some, some more cash. She was like, you know what, I'll do it, but make my salary more. Yeah, like, give me a story credit or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, um, the character of her husband, who's a special effects guy, she's actually married to a special effects guy in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, this also, um, another element from her life is that she had a stalker, um, and this stalker is, like, you know, imitating Freddy Krueger, and it is Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it incorporates the real-life Northridge earthquake. That was, oh, yeah. Like, California's most recent, like, major earthquake, I'd say. Probably. Yeah, um, and that's one of the reasons that I connect with this film is like I kind of I have a weird like spiritual connection to the Northridge earthquake because it was my very first earthquake. I was in my mother's womb at the time. Oh, I was gonna be like, you remember it? Because I sure as hell don't. No, I I was a, a zygote, um, but I've heard the story of my mom being pregnant at a mall when it was happening, um, and I I don't know. I feel like weirdly connected to it. <laughs> Share for us more. Give me more. What happened? Did you kick? 
<laughs> Did you make your presence known? <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think maybe like kicking kind of blends in with the earthquake at a certain point, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so like all of, all of that stuff, I, I just, I don't know. I feel a really personal connection to just as much because I feel connected to Wes Craven as well. And to the point that I think a lot of people's complaints about this movie is like, Freddy doesn't kill enough people. And that's true. He kills like two-ish people and then two more in the prologue. Um, but the thing that I really connect to in this as well is Heather Langenkamp's fear for her child, which I guess is weird because I don't have a child. Um, <laughs> you have cats. That That's true. Um, but all of the horror is kind of this almost like the exorcist. Like it's like something horrible is happening to your child that you don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like he, he's constantly just screaming out of nowhere and foaming at the mouth and mm-hmm. After his father dies, who's like the first major kill, there's like this really intense sequence where he climbs to the top of a like a, a jungle gym mm-hmm. at the local playground and kind of falls off of it. And c- he's kind of trying to reach heaven and find his dad. He's trying to find God. Yeah, well, he's trying to find God slash his dad. You know, God is the eternal father of us all. Okay. Um, or so <laughs> I've read. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Have you heard the good news? I haven't. Tell me more. Um, anyway. It's secretly a conversion podcast. Yes. It's been incognito conversion podcast for, what, three and a half years? Yeah. Um, but no, so he falls off, and she, like, narrowly catches him and saves him, and he's just, like, crying. He's like, God wouldn't take me. And I'm like, oh, Wes Craven, you and your conservative Christian upbringing have done it again. <laughs> um, I don't know, because it, it's... This movie is religious in the way that all of his movies are religious, in which they're not entirely certain that there is, in fact, a God. Mm -hmm. And it's... I don't know. This movie is good. It's very good. I like this movie a lot. Mm -hmm. It's definitely, like, the filmmaker's movie. Or the film major's movie, I should say. That just gives you a lot of stuff to play with, especially if you're familiar with the lore. Um, There are some things that I know of. Um, Just being around you, like, I've absorbed a couple of those things, you know. Um, uh, the nightmare thing. Well, I'm I'm just gonna skip past that. I'm not pretending okay. like I'm gonna know like anything what I'm talking about. But but yeah, it's it's fun to dissect. I should say. Yeah, there's definitely a lot here in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's let's move on to campiness. What's your campiness score? I think I give it a three. Me too. Is there a particular scene that stands out to you? Um, no, because it's not jumping out at me right now. Uh, but Brennan, tell me yours. Okay, yeah, maybe I'll jog your memory. Um, okay, well, there's a bunch. I mean, there is the, like, weird contrivances of having the whatever nightmare actors that they could show mm-hmm. up. Like, the fact that Heather Langenkamp seems to be best friends with John Saxon, who's usually easily, like, 30 to 40 years older than her. Mm-hmm. Um, also... Pre- she has, like, Robert Englund on speed dial as well. Yeah, she does. And also, um, present... Like, pause. Like, at the funeral of, you know, the father, he approaches yeah. her and is like, do you need me for anything? Like, the most dramatic way possible. Oh, yeah. Feel free to reach out. And I was like, damn, like, I don't know if there's sexual tension here, but it's, like, it's intense. Oh, it is intense. Um, but, yeah, no, speaking of that funeral, like, other nightmare actors are also present for cameos. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus Garcia, who performed as Nick Corey, he played uh, Rod, the uh, Tina's boyfriend in the first one. Um, but also, Tuesday Night who was the person who replaced Patricia Arquette as Kristen in part four. Um, so I'm like, why is Tuesday night at this funeral? She has no reason to know Heather Langenkamp unless mm-hmm. they worked conventions together or something. Because <laughs> they were at no point involved in the same movie. Uh-huh. Um, That's a good point. 
Maybe it was to put like uh, or give us the idea that Freddie really was dead. That these are all just friends of Freddie, like sending him off. Oh yeah, I'm sure they just they you know they emailed every single like nightmare actor they could on their AOL accounts because it was 1994. Um, or even you know what? I don't even know if that's accurate. I don't know emails. Mm-hmm. Th- th- whatever. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the the evil doctor lady um, at the hospital when they finally take in um, Dylan after he has some seizures. She is very intense and she is very much convinced that um, Heather has shown her son one of her Nightmare on Elm Street films mm-hmm. and that is the whole reason he's basically like schizophrenic and foaming at the mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she commits to this role she plays the part of this doctor like she is ophelia in hamlet she's like well miss langenkamp i don't think that that's right for your child we're talking about the nurse that did inject her right that did inject the kid right no the african-american oh, okay okay we're talking about that one yeah okay never mind because i was caught between which ones you were talking about oh, there's lots of nurses tell me about this other n- no she's a female doctor you're being sexist oh i didn't know oh sorry um but tell me about this nurse so the one that's not Lin Shay. <laughs> Hello, Lin Shay. Um, there are two nurses in the room. They're left with the babysitter slash nanny, and then the boy. And so the babysitter's like, "Do not inject him. Like, why are you bothering injecting him?" His mom said, "No, you yeah. are not going to do that." And You're she's not like, going to put this child to sleep. Uh-huh. And she's like, "I know better. I will do it." And so then the babysitter like grabs her arm and is like, "No, you're not going to do it." And then. The other girl, like, sorry, not the other girl, but the nurse looks at the other nurse and she's like, go ahead, do it. And so the other nurse secretly has like a little, little syringe ready just to poke the kid with yeah. it. Just like from behind, like out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah. And so she does it. And then, and then they, and then eventually like the babysitter starts fighting them. Oh yeah. She starts she, knocking them. Yeah. She, she just clocks the nurse right in the face and kicks him out of the room. It's great. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, after the, uh, the super secret spy nurse injects the kid. She gives the the, the smuggest smile, like she's uh, I don't know Cordelia on Buffy or Libby on um, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Like, and they just like smashed a locker into their girl's face. They're like, mm, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. I was gonna say or Cordelia on Angel. Yeah, but I feel like she, you know, she had really gone through most of her arc by then. She was a better person by the time she, you know, hung out reached with Angel. Angel. Okay, fine, whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> what else is there? Oh, there there are definitely... Look, I love this movie, but there are some goofy-ass scenes, especially in some of the scare sequences. because yeah, it's so meta. No, I, I, don't th- I don't know that particularly any of the meta stuff I find goofy. Um, is it, was there something that you're thinking of? I was just thinking of the fact that uh, that one dude left his... Uh, the movie set? The father. The father left yeah, the movie set. special effects guy. Uh, and it was... Still so late. It, sorry, it got so late, and he still wasn't home. He oh, left yeah, like he, hours beforehand. Yeah, he did. He did on the phone. He's like, "I'll be there in three hours," and he leaves in the middle of the day, and it's full nighttime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fully aware that that has nothing to do with the meta narrative. No, it does not. But it bothered me. Uh, fair enough. Um, but yes, no. There, there's a very dumb exorcisty scene where Dylan kind of starts to speak in Freddie's voice, and then he pukes all over Heather Langenkamp. Mm-hmm. And it, it's frankly. Not great. Mm-hmm. And also the uh, the questionable effects when Freddy becomes the moon at one point, or at least like stands in front of the moon. Mm-hmm. It's very silly. Yeah. Um, I feel like the whole final scene is kind of very silly. But the thing is, and this is a good transition into effects, of which I'm giving this movie three out of five. Um, I'll give it a four. Okay. I'm cool with that. I will explore that. But first, 
I will continue my transition. Uh-huh. Yes, that scene can be silly and perhaps a little overlong, and the effect where she's falling into the chasm of this like boiler room giant palace thing mm-hmm. is the worst composite shot you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. But um, the effect where because this this is kind of the culmination of the Hansel and Gretel motif that the movie has. Um, like, because Wes Craven was a very literary person, and this movie's basically about storytelling, and the stories are what have the ability to capture this evil entity that is taking Freddy's form, mm-hmm. basically. And so they're kind of reenacting Elm Street, they're kind of reenacting Hansel and Gretel, but it, it's it's about the kind of universality of narrative to capture the imagination and literally the energy of this evil being. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're doing the... Like, the kid's in the, like, oven, basically, and Freddy's trying to grab the kid, and he stretches out his arm, like he Mm -hmm. does in the first one, (laughs) grabs the kid, starts pulling him really slowly towards him, and his jaw just unhinges like a snake, Mm -hmm. and his mouth just keeps getting wider and wider and wider until he's, like, swallowing this kid's head whole, and it's it's awesome. I really love that effect. I don't know why, but okay. I thought that was super silly. I don't know. At least... At least the first couple... I laughed when I saw it. I was like, okay, Whatever. this is just, this is funny. The first time I saw it and the first couple times, I was always like, oh, man, that's mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so when I saw that sh- that shot, it's like, okay, clearly it's fantastical. And this kind of reminds me of what Freddy's become. is like this super big jokester. Um, he, he's less of this in... Of he, less of that. No, he definitely is. But it reminds me of... Like, it, it harkens back to that one. It's in the yeah. like the last movie where... He was just like watching. He was playing a video game yes. with his with his to- with his meat or whatever. Uh, not not his like, junk. His like <laughs> his meat that he kills. Yeah, the expendable meat that are the characters in any Elm Street movie. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what did you like? Because you did give it a higher score. Than One me. of my favorite scenes was the funeral scene. Um, Ooh, yes. I thought it was good because um, well. First off, something that I thought was a big joke, and this leads me to the campiness score for earlier that I forgot, was um, they're Did all you not just... give me the score? I gave you a three, but I didn't mention why. Oh, okay. Because I forgot. Um, but there was something that just kind of like struck me as bizarre, whereas like they're experiencing like aftershocks of the earthqu- uh, Northridge earthquake. Yes. But they're literally like on a flat surface and a cemetery, um, and then it's like an aftershock hits them, but like the winds like start striking that, like hitting them and like, yeah, like moving. there's dust kicked up everywhere. Yeah. Everyone's moving back and forth and it's not clear that it's an earthquake or an aftershock. I take it that it is, um, because the casket moves, but I was like, what weather phenomenon is happening here? Cause it's very unclear. Um, yeah. I mean, to be fair, the, this movie does get to kind of sidestep a lot of those complaints cause it's like, or was it a dream? Mm-hmm. Um, fair enough. And so Heather Langenkamp's character falls. Uh, she, uh, like, hits her head on the thing. Yeah, on, like, the metal bar around mm-hmm. the grave. And then, like, my favorite scene in the movie is she, like, thinks the kid falls in the, uh, the... The casket. The casket. And so she goes in after him. And then there's, like, a whole little world down there. Oh, yeah. Um, and she, like, saves the kid. And then she pulls the kid. And then the casket... Or, not the casket. The cadaver, the corpse, the of, of body her of her husband... Uh, like comes to life and like tries to suck her down and at this point she's just like fighting him and then like she we've forgotten about the kid the kid's just in the background at this point uh-huh. but it's like the husband's trying to drag her down and then i think D- like don't don't all husbands though yeah yeah um pretty heavy-handed west uh, 
Um, but then she wakes up, and then she like her first inclination is to ask for the boy, uh-huh. to ask for Dylan. She's like, "Where is he? Where is he? Where is he?" And in that moment, I thought it was like some intense acting, and it was just really well executed. Because oh yeah, um, I thought that she might fall in the hole. I don't remember like what happened. Mom, I don't remember the scene original, like what from when I first saw it. Uh-huh. But I figured that she was going to go into the uh, the casket or whatever. Um, but I didn't think there was going to be like a whole little world and like under no, it, belly. Of... It's super cool. It's a tunnel that's lined with those like kind of curtain material mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. caskets are. Mm-hmm. It's it's consistent with what the inside of a casket would look like. But yes. it just really expands. Yeah, And it looks so realistic. Yeah, and that's a awesome. moment where it's like. I want to say subtle because it's not as fantastical as the last scene. Yeah, um, it, it's not like something super crazy and baroque. Mm-hmm. It it feels a, like a weird permutation of a real thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and so that's um, why it earned as high a score as it did. Okay, because I think most of the movie is that, and that is my favorite parts of the movie. The parts okay. where you can't, where you, um, where a twelve-year-old me is confused as to what's real and what uh-huh. isn't. And that's what the movie's trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And it, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say real quick, there, there are a couple, like, there are only really two, like, reasonably bloody deaths. Um, there's one where it's a glove in the neck of one of the special effects guys. Mm-hmm. And then when her husband gets clawed all the way down the stomach while he's driving. What's the babysitter? Her death's not that bloody. It's not, like, what we're accustomed to, but it's still pretty gross. Yeah, she gets, like, dragged up the wall uh-huh. on the ceiling. Yeah, um, she gets, uh, Jesus garcia no, she gets Tina'd. Okay, Tina'd. Sorry. Yeah, t- uh, uh, Rod is the guy who gets hanged with he his own hanged. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, no, those two effects I thought were pretty cool and like drippy and bloody in a way that's like kind of shocking mm-hmm. in a movie that's a little more... I don't, I, I don't want to say sedate, but a little more about... like Tone back. Yeah, a little Tone more down. about the family drama. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I honestly, I, I think that the... The Julie kill, the babysitter kill, is the weakest probably because it has the worst uh, ending because he just kind of like slams her head against the ceiling. Then it's mm-hmm. just kind of over. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what What even happened? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that one's a little underwhelming, but I like the other ones. Mm-hmm. And so let's move on to quality. Um, on effects, though, uh, oh, okay, did sure. we mention that Freddy has like new face? Oh, we, we did not. Um, this is uh, Freddy has been on a makeover show. Yeah. He has like a nice uh, He's sleek... exfoliated. Yeah, he has a nice sleek trench coat. He's taking the advice of the gays and is sort of moisturizing. Oh yeah, he's he's definitely damper and smoother. Mm-hmm. Um he so looks it's freaky. so much younger. It's freaky. Yeah, no, and that that's what I mean, that was totally intentional. Wes Craven mm-hmm. wanted him to look or to have a look that was different from the other movies mm-hmm. because this is quote unquote real Freddy. Mm-hmm. So his his claw is specifically more organic. Like the knives are actually coming out of his fingers. Mm-hmm. And there are five instead of four. Mm-hmm. Um, then he's got like a, a new nice, a very nice green hat mm-hmm. that he probably got at like Burberry or something. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you look... No, if it was Burberry, you'd be with Hell's Burberry. It would say it. No, it's Burberry has this very specific pattern. Okay, whatever. Um, I... I wish I knew enough about fashion to make a great joke about his hat, but I don't. Uh huh. Okay, so tell me, um, Anne Hathaway, what what joke should I have made? No, it's just you know, it's maybe Calvin Klein, like the skirts. Okay, that's not a hat though. My I, whatever. Okay, <laughs> I don't know anything about fashion. I just know it's not Burberry. Okay, whatever. What's your quality score? Um, it gets a four. Solid okay. four. I, I can live with that. I'm happy about that. Almost a five, except this time, um, I'm a lot more discerning when it comes to movie length now than I was then. Yes. Uh, because I watch a lot more movies now than I did then. So the movie's length really did uh, irk me, we should say. 
It yes. annoyed me. Um, it's an hour and 52 minutes, and it, that's that can be a little brutal. Yeah, um, especially in our current like little mini heat wave. Yeah, for some reason, it's really hot right now, and it's incredibly infuriating. Um, I'm not ready for this. Yeah, so... Uh, that definitely dulled my enjoyment of it. Um, you just be like full disclosure. Um, maybe it warrants a five under different conditions, but um, I saw it under these and I give it a four. Yeah. And uh, the conditions, which might include being me, I'm giving this movie five out of five. Mm-hmm. I'm well aware that this movie has, shall we say flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple completely dropped plot lines, including the, like there's really no reason to have the plain clothes, Robert Englund in this movie. Um, yeah, he doesn't die, does he? No, he doesn't die, which would have been awesome. Uh huh. Um, we just know that he's like possessed by Freddy somehow. That he's painting him. No, we, yeah. Well, he's like in being impacted by it or having nightmares or whatever. He's uh-huh. making a weird painting, and she's like, "I'll talk to you tomorrow." But then she calls him, and he's like, "I'm on vacation." Uh-huh. And it's like, we know you had Robert Englund. He's playing Freddy. He's around. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so that plot line is dropped. Um, the movie's probably. See, what I took that to mean was that he was consumed and he was now Freddy. See, but that that's when not. He stops being like Robert Island, and now he's Freddy, and so like he needs Robert Island to like to not it. be present. Uh huh. See, that's fair, but I I don't think that's something that the movie is really putting out there. Would it be um, fair to say that as a twelve year old, that's what I assumed? And so, if a twelve year old, if a twelve year old me who didn't know what the fuck meta meant, uh-huh. like could figure that out, that that's what we're supposed to figure out. Okay, whatever. But I'm saying that there, there's a missed opportunity there okay. to do something a lot more interesting. Okay, you're right. You're right. Um, and also, yeah, like I said, it's a bit too long. There are those like kind of goofier like '90s horror moments. Mm-hmm. But look, just call me John Legend. My my love is blind. I love all of this movie, all its curves and all its edges. Um. Like, love is really a give and take. You have to accept the other person's flaws because we're all flawed. What are you doing? I'm Freddy. Oh, are, he's just holding out his, like, fist at me, and I don't it's know. It's a fist bump. Oh, we're doing a fist bump? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, the ultimate <laughs> sign of true love. I wasn't doing anything. I was just moving my hand like this, oh, okay. and then you assumed something was happening, so well, I was like, I just might as well. It's just like yes, your, and, your you balled know? up hand was like right in front of my face. Anyway. There uh, is a good four feet in between you and this hand. I have really good eyesight. That's a lie. Doesn't change the fact that it's it, far from you. Whatever. <laughs> this doesn't matter. Um, but no, no. Just like how I can love you in spite of our weird arguments about things that don't matter. I love this movie in spite of not actually being a 100% perfect movie uh-huh. because nothing's perfect. No, you're right. I gave it a four, like overall score, a four overall score, even though my other ones were significantly lower. And, you know, you could say that it doesn't really merit that, but there's something about the movie that I would say is really just good storytelling. Yes. It's a storyteller. Um, I don't want to say at its best because <laughs> that's going to uh, spark debate, but it's definitely, you know, a storyteller doing what he does well. Working at the height of his powers. Mm-hmm. And totally... Um, under the, the guide of muses. Yeah, just look, this movie was underseen and underperformed at the box office, but also it done scratch ne- Scream's wig straight off. Like, look, I love Scream. Scream's one of my favorite movies, but this is Wes Craven doing... Probably, I would say, even more than what Scream does in terms of playing with the line between like fiction and reality. Oh, definitely. Without a doubt. And it's definitely a solid precursor to that. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing I will say. There is a scene that I love where the, um, 
Heather Langenkamp's life, John Saxon has come over to like help her out in the middle of the night because she's freaking out about her kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and her life starts to transform into the movie. Like, like in between cuts, like she'll be wearing Nancy's pajamas. She has her green, I mean, her, her gray streak of hair. Mm-hmm. John Saxon starts calling her Nancy in a very subtle line at first, but then you start to notice. Mm-hmm. And then he's wearing like his Donald Thompson outfit as a cop. And it just slowly, in a, you know, like the 1428 Elm Street house shows up and just like yeah. all the pieces fall into place. That scene was freaky. Yeah. It's I had surreal. To, yeah, I had to stop what I was doing because at this point I might have started like cleaning and tidying up. And so I like saw him like this weird interchange with things like whoa like what the freak is happening it was good yeah i love that scene and also there is a very hold on okay does that scene lend credence to the freddy uh robert eileen becoming freddy sure why not okay thank you you're welcome um but yeah no also in that scene there's this she kind of decides that she has to kind of play along with the movie in order to save her son and finish the movie and thus uh-huh. trap the entity again. Uh-huh. Um, so you can see he start, he keeps calling her Nancy and talking about her mom and all this stuff. And she, you can see her make the very conscious decision to call him daddy because that's what <laughs> um, Nancy Thompson called her dad. Uh-huh. And, it's always a very important decision when you decide to call someone daddy. It's like saying, I love you for the first time. Uh-huh. So I'm glad that she represented like how it feels. Yes, exactly. Also, just Heather Lankenkamp, who is, I will say, someone who I really appreciate, but especially as a teenager, her acting chops were a little all over the place. She's she's really nailing it in this movie. I love this performance. Her her look is slamming. Oh, she looked great. She's she was phenomenal. I was like taken aback i was like how much time has passed between this one and like the original because i was like she looks as if not a day has gone by yeah she's she's i mean because she was young when they made the movie so she was like probably about 28 uh-huh. she was and that dress she wears uh-huh. to the interview portion uh-huh. uh it's it's glorious she's this is this is her at the height of her powers uh-huh um, maybe I was just taken aback because like she had like a four year old kid or whatever uh-huh. and was like married and these are things that our generation does later in life. That is true. So I was just like, oh, she looks great for a 45 year old. <laughs> <laughs> like, cause that's what I assume. Like that's the age you are when you have kids. Uh huh. Um, no, yeah, totally. But no, she's, she's just, you know, young mm-hmm. and hot and great. She looked good. Anyway, um, let's wrap up a little tiny bit since this is the end of the Elm Street Marathon. So sad. It's time to do our ranking of the seven Elm Street movies. So, again, as always, we'll do it like Drake. We start from the bottom. Um, although, you know, that song's a lie because Drake was on Degrassi. We're, we're all on to you, sir. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so we're starting from the real bottom. Yeah. Number seven. Number seven. Um, there was a joke I could have made, but I shall not. No, you won't. Um, this, number- this podcast has gradually become like a very dirty queer podcast. No, not as much as like your other one. Absolutely not. Check out yeah. Attack of the Queer Wolf. Yeah, that, that's a fun show. That's a fun listen. All right. So number seven uh, for me is Dream Child. <gasps> me too. I detest that movie, except for its cool production design. Yeah. And it was okay. It was fun-ish. It was a fun watch. Yeah, it's whatever. But I can't remember anything about it. Except that she had a baby. She sure did. Number six, Dream Master. Okay. um, 
as uh, if you check out our Dream Master episode, you'll know I have like a pretty soft spot for it, but I can live with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but my for that position for number six, mine is Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. Okay, that's fair. Just it's number... a thin movie, which I do enjoy. Mm-hmm. Mine is Final Nightmare. It's only number five because of my uh, nostalgia for it. That is, uh, again, a, a totally valid reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and my number five is part two, Freddy's Revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I like the, you know, the weird, campy, gay stuff going on in that movie. But it just doesn't compare to the better entries. It's solid, but it, it's a middling one. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Uh, my number Uh-oh. four is Dream Warriors. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Freddy's Revenge is going somewhere that I'm not expecting it. Um, but yeah, my number four is the Dream Master, which I like a lot, but not enough to like go crazy. Yeah, I liked it enough. I thought it was cool. All the friends banding together to like fight Freddy, even though they um, are dead. Uh, no, they're not dead. Uh, isn't Dream Warriors the one where they're like? Uh, oh, you're talking about Dream Warriors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that one where they're yeah. like in a hospital of some sort. Yes, it's and- the mental institution Mm -hmm. and then they like band together and their weaknesses become their strengths yes so cool number three is new nightmare okay and my number three is dream warriors which i I really came around on i used to like four better than three but then i this time around i was like i am an insane person Mm -hmm. because three is kind of the accepted general wisdom is one of the best sequels Mm -hmm. and i am fully aware that um using a different metric it should be higher on my list but my current metric is like rewatchability sure um, so under that uh, parameter, it is number three. Because of length, presumably. Because of length. Yeah. That's fine. What's your number two? Uh, number two is A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Okay. I knew it. Okay. Um, my number two is New Nightmare, which okay. I, you know, is, is a great film, but mm-hmm. obviously does not compare to your number two, which is the original film. Mm-hmm. Um, so my number one is uh-huh. A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Okay. Freddy's Revenge. Um, I'm, mine is num- the first one, um, the original, because it's a classic and a masterpiece that I love. Uh-huh. So tell me, <laughs> wh- how, how did Freddy's Revenge snake its way all the way on up? Because it is a movie that a everyone movie, correct. has seen. Um, in, at least in our queer horror circles. Yeah. It's a movie that comes up constantly. It's kind of like the gay horror um la bamba sure uh, like as as la bamba is to the latino population yes so hold on um on one I was of like our, maybe certain people wouldn't understand yeah on one of our earlier dates uh or between us two me and brennan i uh-huh. remember telling him yo like there are certain movies that because we have so little like for, for our canon, like, yeah. that everybody's just seen them. Like, our canon is so small that everybody's seen La Bamba, everybody's seen Selena, uh-huh. um, and I think maybe Blood and Blood Out might sneak its way in there, but, you know, uh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, and then that movie, sorry, uh, New Night, sorry, Freddy's Revenge uh-huh. is it that is movie that. for the queer community. All right, fair enough. Also, it's probably the movie off that list, um, aside from the first one, that you've seen the most. That is true. Also, look, Look, so that proves that it has limitless rewatchability. You're right. Look, that movie is a delight. Mm-hmm. Um, the exploding bird scene, um, the like, uh, uh, the Kill by Kill podcast is currently doing Nightmare on Elm Street too. And even though we watched it fairly recently for the podcast, and I also had to do an episode on it on Queer Wolf, it's been in my life a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's still a delight to hear them revisiting it and being like, "Oh yeah, that did happen." Uh huh. 
Um, so it's it's really been present for me this year. This has uh-huh. been the year of Freddy's Revenge. So it's just that movie that kind of like keeps coming back for me, and so that's okay. why I like it. I can live with that because I just want to like we have a bunch of media in this house. We have books. Yes, we we have vinyl because we're those guys. We have limitless DVDs because Brennan refuses to condense his collection. Look, I do. I sell the ones I don't want to Amoeba and then buy new ones. Yes. Where is the problem in that? You tell me. But usually um, I buy more expensive ones, so that means I have fewer. <laughs> it's slowly yet, shrinking. Yet somehow the collection does not get smaller. Um, anyways, um, and that's a movie that like, it, were we ever to be entertainers and like have people over? Um, well, like there's no space to put them. But should that ever happen, uh, we would like that would be a movie that I would say like, you know, what, let's put that on, let's uh-huh. watch it, and let's have a good time. Okay. More that's, so than a nightmare on Elm Street, because I feel like for that one, you need to be paying attention to it. You need uh, to be it's in the not right a mindset. Movie. It's not a party movie. It's not a movie that you can just throw on and like you know laugh at. Especially for me, because if people were like, like, look, I I am usually down for giving the MST3K treatment to any movie, mm-hmm. but if it's a like you know a nightmare on Elm Street, I'm gonna be slapping slapping people left and right. Be like, mm-hmm. shut up. Yeah, this scene's great. Brennan will definitely do that. <laughs> it could be a movie that we've seen. Well, we haven't seen anything multiple times together. We have. Um, um, a couple, but not like multiple, multiple. Um, not like a whole bunch. Yeah. Uh, and Brennan will be like, stop it. This is important. You, you need to recognize the craft, craftsmanship yeah. that is happening right now. Um, um, and one of those movies for you would probably be Sex in the City 2008. Yes. Yes. I love that movie. Which you have made me watch on numerous occasions. Twice. And a half. I guess so. Yeah, because there was that time that I walked in on you watching it. Um, because oh, I had come home from work uh-huh. and I just sat down and watched the rest of it, and then like the next day, you're like, "Watch, let's watch Sex in the City." And I'm like, "Oh my god, you're a crazy person." I think I did that first straight month. It was the original Pearl Harbor. It was upsetting. Um, anyway, so let's let's close out. I'll tell you what we're watching next week. But first, here's that you can get in contact with the show. You can find us on Twitter at Scream One Hundred One Pod. Email us at Scream One Hundred One Podcast at gmail dot com. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Give us five stars. Yes, you raised your hand. <laughs> and wish us happy voyages on our trip to Cincinnati, Ohio. Yes, that's where we're going to be. I'm not going to tell you exactly when, so you can't steal our stuff. Anyway. No one knows where we live. Okay, well, still, please don't. <laughs> okay. I like my stuff. Yeah. It's all I have. I'll leave the key under the rug, and you can steal all the DVDs. Yeah, but then they'll probably steal your stuff, too. All your books. This episode's already too long. Our theme song <laughs> is A Beat for You by Pseudo Echo. And next week, we're going to be uh, f- polishing off our little mini marathon with Urban Legends Bloody Mary, which I'm curious about. I'm looking forward to. Cool. Okay, bye. Bye. Good luck on your journey. Stay gold. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart.